epitch.org. Entrepreneurs telling their stories, giving us a better understanding of the entrepreneurial experience. Okay, Mike, now we're on to part two of your interview, and uh, hopefully the first one went pretty well. So now we're just going to continue on sort of where we left off, and we left off on really where education was going. Uh, one of the things that I wanted to ask was that you are at Low Mill, and I didn't realize that you had uh, bought MindGear. Well, their assets, yes. Bought their, their assets. Right. Mind Gear was at Low Mill. Yes. And so is that why you decided to stay at Low Mill or are there other reasons for that? Partly. They had a space on the first floor that was a biotech lab. And so it was more in keeping what we needed. It had a concrete floor instead of the wooden floor that was upstairs. They had glass all around so people could walk by and look in and see all the exciting things going on. So it was a storefront type, type space on there. So it seemed like a great space and there's so much energy at Low Mill, all the exciting things going on, and all the creativity on there. And there are even some support businesses, like there's a guy named Pat, has a sign uh, company upstairs, and he does all of our signage. Uh, so like we need a, a door marked or something like that, Pat can knock it out for us in, in just a couple hours. So that's great. And you know, we have places we can eat at Low Mill. There's several, several nice uh, restaurants there. So it's a, it's a great place to be. It is diverse. I mean, you have graphic designers, Very. photographers, you have yourself, you have a wide range of artists there. Now, in order to, to actually have a space at Low Mill, it's just not easy as saying a space Sign is open. Yeah. You have to go through a process. That's what right. is that process like? What do you have to have? What is the criteria? So you actually have to put an application that goes before a jury. And so we had to kind of justify our existence on our application for low mill to, to be allowed to have a space there. Fortunately, they saw fit to, to let us join the family. And how many square feet do you have? We're at about 8,000 square feet right now. Wow. Yeah. Okay. We just recently did an expansion. Do you think you'll run out of room again? <laughs> well, um, uh, I hope not. We tried to plan for the future and, and make room for everything that we can think of that we're going to be doing in the foreseeable future. It's always a, a task, a chore to utilize your space most effectively. So we rearrange things from time to time. But we just, our most recent build out was to put some classrooms along the, uh, I guess it'd be the south side of our space to divide up some of the, the big open space that we had a little more usefully. Low Mill, a building that was really not in use and it's been converted to this wonderful space. That's right. This building, what year was that built? Do you have any idea? Uh, about 1900. 1900. So it, it's a beautiful building. It is. It was first a cotton mill and then it became a shoe factory and during World War II they made boots for GIs there and then after that organization shut down it kind of fell into disuse. I think an HVAC company used it to store equipment and so forth until Jim Hudson bought it and started renovating it and making it into an art facility. And there's been phases. There have. So they've opened up more and more of it. Yeah. How many more square feet is there to go to utilize yeah, that Yeah, I don't know. Building? I know it's about 178,000 square feet total okay. on there, but I couldn't tell you how much of that is uh, used and how much is available. Okay. There, are, there are places in Low Mill that I've never been. Okay, uh, there's, it's three floors and two wings, uh, up to three floors and, and <laughs> over two wings. and. 
the north wing I've gotten to know a little bit. The south wing I don't know very well at all. So the first month I think in the north wing I was wandering around lost until I finally found my way. So it is a big, big place. Well, and the thing that I love about Lomilia's is that you know you go there and you you don't know what you're going to find. Exactly. It is different all the time, and there's something interesting going on. It's like exploring a new town. You know, you just walk around the corner and you say, holy cow, look at this little shop that sells these things. And nothing that is there you will ever find somewhere pretty else. Much, pretty much, that's right. Something else that whenever it is open, they like for people to be able to see people working on yes, what it is that they do. They do. So do you, do you have to plan that out as to what you'll be doing, or is it just strictly whatever no, we just has... uh, we just made sure that our windows weren't obscured and that uh, we did the lighting, so I... I designed the lighting so that when you turn on the main lights, it lights up all the things around the edge, except for some classrooms, you have to be able to turn the lights off for AV presentations. But we pretty much want everything lit up for people to see, be able to look in and see what's going on. And going back to a 501c3, why did you decide to make it a 501c3? Primarily so that I could put money in there from a foundation that my wife and I have, because you know, you can only give to 501c3s. So. Right. Yeah. Okay, so that's why, because you're not really doing this for yourself, if you will. No. You're really doing it to kind of expand people's education that's right. on different things. To help the community. Yeah. To help I mean, I get, sure, I get a lot of satisfaction and, and enjoyment out of doing that, but, but it doesn't certainly personally benefit me, financially especially. <laughs> right. But, but, you know, the other aspect of being a 501c3, it's a lot easier to work with schools as a nonprofit than as a for-profit. I think they're a little bit suspicious of for-profit companies, whereas a, a, a nonprofit, it's easier to get your foot in the door to, to work with public schools. Okay. Can you tell us, for someone that may be interested in doing a 501c3, what is involved with that? What do you have to do in order to become that, to do something that you might want to to think about yeah, more it's, than. it's not as hard as you might think. There are certain areas that 501c3s can can cover, and they're they're on the IRS website. You can look up irs.gov. First, you need to register as an Alabama nonprofit corporation, and that's just filing some paperwork with the Secretary of State. Cost you a few hundred bucks. Our accountant actually helped us do the filing on there, but an attorney can also do that that work with you. And then you submit an application to the IRS fill out some paperwork and so forth. Describing them, you need to send them a copy of some of your corporation paperwork. I forget whether it's the Articles of Incorporation or the bylaws, something like that. You know, the usual IRS type forms. I think it took us like four months to get the approval letter from the IRS saying you're a, you're a 501c3, you'll be listed on their website, and you can, or people can potentially do, uh, get a tax deduction for donations they make to you. Which is nice. Which is always nice on there. It's not as horribly difficult process that you might think it is. You just need a little guidance on how to do that. And the rules and regulations that go along with it. And the it. rules and regulations that go along with that. That's right. And the, the benefits, you kind of stated, but what are some complications to that? Well, for example, the IRS wants you to stay on mission. So we sell supplies to our members. We have a little store, if you will. So if a member needs some filament for a 3D printer or a piece of wood to do woodworking with, we can sell them that and charge them. We have to pay sales tax on it. We're not exempt from 
paying sales tax okay. on there or paying sales tax on our purchases. A lot of people think nonprofits don't pay sales tax to the state of Alabama, and they do. Very few people get a, a tax exemption for the state of Alabama for sales tax. But we don't pay property tax, so that's nice. Business uh, personal property tax. There's no income tax for us so with state or the federal government, so that's nice on there. But as far as selling stuff goes, if we just had a store for the general public, then we would have to pay income tax on any profits we made from that because that's not part of our charter. We're not chartered as a store for the general public, and we probably couldn't get a nonprofit charter as a store to the general public. Gotcha. But you're allowed to sell things to your members for their use in your shop. Can they take home the excess? Sure. I mean, it's theirs to do with what they want. I mean, it's just the purpose of the sale is not just to make money. It's for convenience, for the convenience of our members. Okay. And can you charge whatever you want for those? Sure. Or? Whatever the market will bear. Well, okay. All right. And I didn't know and, if, and, if and there was rules Yeah, a lot of people that. A lot of people think that uh, if you're a nonprofit, that you can't make any money off of things, services or goods you sell. And that's not true. You can, in fact, you won't stay in business long if you're just breaking even on the with the cost of goods sold because you have your labor in there, you have the cost of carrying the inventory, all the things that any business has to deal with. So you need some markup on there. Plus you want some retained earnings, you want to get some profit, if you will, to do other things with. The whole point of a nonprofit is that people can't benefit from any money that the company makes. So you don't have owners, you don't have shareholders, you can't pay out dividends to people from the proceeds that the company makes. That's what a nonprofit means. At the end of the year, or at the end of your fiscal year, uh -huh. what if you have money left over? Do you have to spend it by a certain amount in nope. order? Nope, it's just like any company. I mean, that, that goes into retained earnings. You just have a little more cash in the bank to do with it, whatever you want with it. Okay. Uh, within limits of what the nonprofit can do, of course. Okay. So you can have money left over. Absolutely. Uh, in fact, it that's just our, has goal. To be it's used. our goal. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So it's just for the benefit to keep that's right. the 501c3 going. That's right. So nobody going. can take the money home, okay? Okay. You know, but but the, it can stay in the company, stays in our company checking account or whatever, and the, the company can use it for whatever it deems necessary. If we want to buy a new machine with it or, you know, come up with another course to teach people or give some scholarships to people to attend for free. I know that seems like a silly question, no. but I really didn't know. A lot the of people don't understand how nonprofits work, so it's a good question. How do you market your business? We use social media. We advertise some with Rocket City Mom. I don't know if you've heard of Rocket City Mom. Yes. They're a website that's targeted at mothers with children in Huntsville, the Huntsville area. Just word of mouth among our members and the and their clients. Do you have someone that is responsible for the social media or for going out? and getting new business from schools or wherever? We have a media team, and our director of operations, Robin Beckham, is always looking for new business with schools to set up new classes and so forth. Sometimes we work with PTAs. Sometimes the PTAs will fund the classes on there. And, of course, they, do the, they go out and get the clients there. They advertise it to the parents to sign their children up for these classes or after-school programs. Okay, and PTA is a powerful organization. Absolutely. You know, we've, we've met some great folks with the PTA that have really helped uh, spread the word and, and get kids in the classes. I recently counted the schools inside Madison County. So county, city, there's 107 schools wow. from elementary to high school, public and private. That is a lot in this area. It is a lot. There's a lot that you may not have reached yet, right? Absolutely, yeah. We Our penetration into the public schools isn't as you know great as we'd like it to be on there. 
but we're always working working on that there. We don't so much go in and teach traditional classes that you know take the place of teachers in the classroom. We're trying to do special programs. Schools in the state of Alabama have gotten a mandate from the state to teach STEM. Unfortunately, they didn't get the funding to buy the equipment or the teaching aids or to get the training to do that. So wherever we can, we'll fill that gap and help get, uh, get the education done. And we need to align our curriculum, our curricula with their standards, with the Alabama standards for education. So we do that and that's one way we can, we can work with schools. Okay, and it's great that you understand those standards because yeah. uh, I would imagine they evolve and change constantly. Yeah, well, we have professional teachers on staff and professional curriculum writers, so they're familiar with those standards. Okay, and have you ever worked with other nonprofits to work together in going to a school or whatever, trying to work together with one another to sure. promote um, each other? Sure, I'm trying to think not so much into schools, but certainly lots of other projects. We've worked with Urban Engine who has co-working night and other programs. You know, we worked with them on Space Apps Challenge in town here. We worked with K-Tech, uh, which is part of Kids of Love out in Madison. And just wherever the opportunity comes to partner up, you know, if we can find some synergy to leverage and do more good together than we could do separately, we're all for partnering up with other nonprofits. Would you say that this business now is to a point where it's going to survive where you're in it for the long haul. Yeah, I think so. We're we're working towards, you know, long-term sustainability. We're about to start a fundraising campaign to go out to the broader community and educate them as to what we're doing and solicit some uh, donations so that we can build up and make it more self-supporting uh, right now. We'll never be able to support it just on the program fees we charge, just the nature of the business, but we cover maybe 60 some odd percent of our costs with our program fees and the remainder has to be made up with donations. Okay. So that's our goal is to get to that point where we have a steady steady stream of funding on there to cover to make up the shortfall from the program fees. My guess is is that you use your foundation to cover those additional costs. Oh, that's what we've done so far. Certainly we did the startup the capital costs and everything like this and some some startup operating costs on there. But the goal is to get the operating costs to be self-supporting right. through the combination of program fees and donations. Okay. That was always our intention from the beginning. Once a foundation does something for a 501c3, is the 501c3 able to pay the foundation back, or is that just strictly a gift and you no, can it's, never it's, get it No, it's strictly a gift, yeah. No, it's not done with the intention of ever getting a payback. It's not a loan or anything like that. Okay, so once yeah. once it happens... It's a grant, and it's it's gone, you know. Okay. I... I just didn't know because, you know, then that could be yeah. for a start. Well, I'm sure there may be some other foundations that might work differently, but but our particular foundation is just a, um, it's just a grant, a gift, so okay. there's no expectation of any repayment. Well, what would you say really are the top three skills needed to be a successful entrepreneur? What has made you successful? Why? Why are you successful? <laughs> you know... I almost have to say the luck has to take a part <laughs> a part in it. We talked in the uh, last segment about uh, selling at you know peak Cersei, uh, right? <laughs> there and that was that was pretty lucky. Although they say that you know luck favors the prepared or the, the the people that are that are ready are, are turn out to be a lot luckier than the people who aren't. So there's certainly a lot of hard work between the startup and the the event at the end. I think being principled, that deciding on 
what you're going to, how you're going to do things, and sticking to those principles no matter what. Uh, my hero Dave Ramsey talks about the no matter what, that no matter what, we're not going to ever do that, or no matter what, we will always do this. Okay, so and decide what that is. Decide what that is. Know where, know where your boundaries are and, and stick with them on there. And this is things like, you know, we're not going to, you know, cheat our customers or clients or anything like that. No matter what, um, we will never do that. Even if it hurts us financially, you know, we miss out on, you know, some opportunities by doing that. We're not going to ever do that. Okay. So, so I think you have to have principles and you have to be faithful to those principles to be a successful entrepreneur. And, and obviously there are, you know, there are lots of stories about entrepreneurs who didn't have principles and they have some short-term success like uh, you know, I don't, Bernie Madoff, I guess he was, could be considered an entrepreneur. And he had tremendous success, right, in billions of dollars. But uh, after a while, not so much. Catches up to you. Catches up to you. So, and if you tell the truth, you don't have to remember so much. Right. Right. So that's the top principle right there. And I talked about perseverance for the advice for entrepreneurs, that you just have to be relentless, that you have to keep going and keep going and keep looking for opportunities. Don't ever just try to coast on there. Keep looking for ways to do a better job, to expand your business, to reach more people on there. So that doesn't mean that you keep pounding your head against a brick wall. If you've gone down the wrong path, then you have to know, be smart enough to reverse course and, and try a different path on there. But once you decide you're going to do something, you just keep doing it until you know you either decide that it's not worth doing anymore or you're successful at it. So there's no room for just getting tired of doing something and quitting on there. Okay. Those are, I think of those as the main traits, you know, integrity and perseverance. For being successful as an entrepreneur, you know, I mean, if obviously you need to choose the right area, if you're going to make, you know, try to become a billionaire by making buggy whips, probably not going to work out anymore. Something like that. You need to do need to choose a place where there is a need and you can fill that need. But sometimes the need is a, a niche area that you can fulfill, and you're never going to make a whole lot of money doing it, but you're fulfilling the the wants and needs of your clients on there and they're happy and you're making a living that's that's a win in my book okay? right not everybody has to hit a home run I mean just getting on base is worth something yeah so I think just you know find something that you can enjoy doing and you can help people at and fulfill, and fulfill their needs and you can be successful if you just you know do it with integrity and perseverance right and just like you were kind of going down the path to become a mechanical engineer exactly that's right and then you changed course yeah did you start a business to make money or did you start a company to do something that you enjoyed doing or um, both both I think or you know like I said I was 23 and it was just like okay this looks like an interesting thing to do why not what the heck it was successful beyond my wildest dreams you know I'd hoped it was successful but I wasn't really thinking so much about that at the time it was more like getting getting through to the next day you know Okay. Get enough money for groceries and stuff like that. So, I think we had, I think we started out with five hundred dollars worth of capital. So that would be one hundred twenty-five dollars for each of us, and I had to borrow uh, my share because I didn't have one hundred twenty-five dollars to my name. Yeah, and at and twenty-three, so, you shouldn't have twenty-three. Had that, right? I, I don't know. I probably, <laughs> I probably should have had at least that much, but but I wasn't very responsible at the time. So, I mean, that's incredible. Yeah. So it was a pretty good investment. A very good investment. Yeah. <laughs> 
Well, what are some of the mistakes? Can, can you just kind of go through maybe a few mistakes that you made along the way that you wished you would have known better than to do yeah, that? I think, you know, some bad hires. Does intuition play into to you now? Yeah, do well, you know better now? Yeah, one of the things I know better now is I, I read a book by Patrick Lencioni called uh, The Ideal Team Player, and he said that when you hire somebody, they need to be hungry, humble, and smart. So they need to be hungry, they need to be ambitious, and, and want to do good things. They need to be smart so they can uh, have the wherewithal to do those good things, but they need to be humble so they don't try to take over your company. And the probably the worst mistake you can make is find is hire somebody who is uh, hungry and smart but not humble because they can eat you alive okay okay so and we've made a few mistakes uh, over the years in in that area and it's like a never again kind of deal that we're going to look very very closely and and try to determine if somebody has all three of those characteristics before we hire them for hire anybody again do you have any suggestions in how you look for that you got to interview the heck out of them, you know, just keep on, keep on going. I think intuition does enter into it. Get lots of people from your company to interview them. You know, all the people they'd be working for, the people they're working with, you know, if you can meet their spouse, you know, take them out to dinner, all those kind of things. Just uh, whatever you can to try to determine what their true character is. Talk to references. You know, that is very interesting because we have a very slow process of hiring. And sometimes people, they don't, they don't wait. That's very smart. But we go out to lunch. We have them meet with different people. And it's interesting how different people act around different people. It is. Totally different personality, and it comes out. Yes. And so I would say one thing about hiring is what you just said. Yeah. Is slow to hire. Make sure that you talk, talk again, have other people talk, check references and all of that. Because if you do all of that, things will start adding up. You'll kind of get a full picture of what kind of future you have with seem, that they person. They might seem very nice, and then you take them out to eat, and they're just terrible to the wait staff. Right. Did you want something like, something like that to work for you that, that looks down on some, some people? And it happens. It happens, and they do it without thinking about it, and they reveal their true, true character right. in the process. And, you know, someone may think that I, being an owner, is more important than someone else just working here. <laughs> And the thing they don't know is, is it's just the opposite. How, how long would you stay open without any stylist? Right. A lot longer than if you were out of the office, Exactly. Right? Yeah. I, I'm definitely more replaceable. Yeah, yeah. So, That's you how know, I, feel. I yeah. always think it's interesting because, like, if, you know, if they come back and say something, then, I mean, it's definitely not worth it. It's, uh, it's interesting how people think, but the wait staff, I mean, these things actually happen in real life. Mm -hmm. And if you wait long enough, you'll, That's right. you'll know who they are. It's a lot easier and cheaper to find out before you hire and then after. Yeah, for sure. Anything else come to mind, something that may have been something that you wished you would have thought through maybe more or, or just had more knowledge of something before it happened? Not really. Uh, nothing comes to mind. I'm sure we made plenty of mistakes, that, but nothing you know, really bad. Like uh, The way I think about it is if you don't mis make mistakes, you're not trying, but you have to just make sure you don't make fatal mistakes. Right. And, you know, like you said, you know, the few hundred things that you had to go through to, to try to That's get right. to where you are today, That's there's right. always going to be that. Absolutely. And I always say through my day, you know, give me five just today. Yeah, that, that's right. <laughs> and then do the just countdown. Yeah, that's right. 
with this new company, what is your daily responsibilities? My official title is president of the board of directors, kind of like the chairman of the board. Commonly in nonprofits, it's the president of the board. And I've, you know, I also style myself as the founder on my business card. Uh, that's not an official title. And so I don't really have any day-to-day responsibilities. But I go into the office most days just because I love to see see things happening. And if I can help out in any way, I'm glad to do it. Right. So you so, kind of direct the future. Yeah. So I'm supposed to be at the strategic level rather than the tactical level. Okay. But if, if there's something I can help out on a tactical level, then, then I'll do it. I mean, I've been involved in a couple of construction projects where we needed more more hands working on a pro- to finish a project by a deadline. So I'm happy to get involved with you do whatever, with that. whatever do, you do need whatever to do. needs to do. That's right. So you're not a micromanager. No, I try not to be. Yeah. What makes a good leader? Why are you a good leader? I think good leaders inspire people to to follow them uh, rather than you know pushing them. They kind of pull them along make people want to do what they're supposed to do with you. I actually came up with a rule that I modestly named Mike's Rule about rules for being a good employee and that the rule is do your job and if you can't do your job make sure your supervisor knows that you can't do your job. And it covers a lot of a lot of areas you know that people just apply Mike's Rule to that and so uh, we make sure that all the team members n- understand Mike's rule. And it's okay not to know something. Absolutely. It's just that don't don't give up or hold up something or cause something to fail because you didn't let your supervisor know about it. So, How did you get the first 20 employees? Some of those rolled over. Some of those rolled over. And, and our uh, employment is a little bit seasonal because we have you know, summer camps, okay. so forth, our biggest camp season of the year. So we hire extra instructors to handle that. And then just the normal turnover where people get other opportunities and move on, so forth. We actually don't have too many of the original people left just because of uh, normal turnover. But we just go out and put out job postings on the different different social media or job boards and stuff like this. And then people refer other people refer people to us, people who worked here or are working there. How do you handle, like, sometimes when people are getting ready to open a business, you'll have friends that say, oh, don't, don't do that. That's, yeah. that's crazy. You're, you're, you're going to lose big on that. Don't, don't do that. I had, I had one friend who was get, telling me horror stories about uh, OSHA regulations with the machinery we have and everything yeah. and the, some of the materials, the, you know, the chemicals involved right there. And so, how bad has OSHA been a thorn in your side? OSHA who? <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you maybe know, we better not broadcast that in case there's some OSHA people listening. <laughs> exactly. But everything there is perfectly safe, which is why they haven't had to bother us. Right. So, and that goes back to do what's right. And that's right. You're going to be just fine. That's right. So, how did you find your banker, lawyer, and insurance agent? Can you kind of take us through that? Yeah. Uh, my guess is, is that you have a long-standing yeah. Let's relationship see. Um, with them. No, my insurance agent, we didn't. We're, we used Fountain Parker downtown, yeah, and I, I knew they did business insurance, and I knew where their office was because we used to be located just down the street in Searcy, okay. uh, around the corner of Washington and Clinton. And they're great uh, to work with. And they've been great to work with, so I don't 
think I got any kind of recommendation. I just went up there and knocked on their door and like, hey, okay. can you uh, write some policies for us? And they easy said, as sure. that. As easy <laughs> as that. I had a long-standing relationship with our accountant through the Community Free Clinic because he's the treasurer and has been their accountant. It's Mike Seegers with, I think it's Melvin Pinson, Bibb and Seegers accountants. Um, they're over in Williams Avenue. And he's just been fantastic. Like I said, he helped us set up our 501c3, did a wonderful job, made it so easy, had the forms for us to fill out and the, everything. So And it's great um, to have those professional people it is. that you can rely on it is, yeah. to make sure it's done right. Right. And actually, I don't think we've needed an attorney yet, so we really haven't had a relationship with any attorneys since, okay. since like I said, Mike Seegers helped us set up all the, the uh, paperwork for the 501c3 and the, the corporation. Can you tell us just sort of in throughout your time in business about maybe a difficult situation that you had to resolve? Yeah, so going back to the Cersei days, one of our competitors got one of her clients that she was friends and buddies with, it was uh, I think a professor at a university, to start bad-mouthing us, saying that we had filed for bankruptcy, which was not true. We had 57 consecutive profitable quarters or something like that at the time. But it's pretty hard to prove that you haven't filed for bankruptcy. How would you prove, for example, Tara May had never, that had not filed for bankruptcy? Yeah, I, I, yeah you can't get an affidavit. You know, you can go to the courthouse or something, but anyway. And you can't control what people say. It's hard you? to prove a negative. So, And we actually lost some business because of it. We had a, you know, a bid that we would have won. They said, yeah, well, I don't believe it, but I really can't take a chance. So they, they did not give us the business on that. Wow. The dilemma is that we have somebody that's bad-mouthing us, but as I said before, libraries and librarians are a tight-knit group, and so if we you know, threaten legal action against a librarian, even if though they're you know, a customer of our competitor, it would make us look bad in the library community with the other librarians. And so uh, we were talking over this attorney with our attorney, and I was like, I said to him, how about if you just find out who the university's attorney is and write a friendly lawyer-to-lawyer letter and say, I think you should know that one of your people is libeling my client and, you know, and they've lost business because of it and they're not happy about it. So just thought, you know, I'd want to know, so I thought you'd want to know. Without threatening any kind of legal action, just kind of, you know, professional courtesy. Here we go. Well... The libel stopped. Really? The bad mapping stopped. Didn't have to. Didn't have to sue anybody. And I can imagine they probably had a meeting at the university. Maybe the dean got involved, something like that. And this guy was called on the carpet, and he quit it immediately. That was a sticky situation that we were able to resolve with some creative letters from a lawyer. And lucky. And lucky too. That's right. You never know. You know, you encounter uh, such a variety of people throughout your career. <laughs> And there's going to be some that want to take you down or hurt you. That's right. For some reason. That's right. And you can't control it. Just because you're breathing. <laughs> Just because you're breathing, right? I want to talk now, really, about angel flight sores. Sure. Sure. So, you know, you're a very generous person, and I think people should know that. If people know you, they know that you are. You you've done a lot throughout this community, and I'm sure there's a lot that I don't know about. I do know of several things. But one out of several is the angel flight. Can you tell us exactly what that is, how you got involved, and then maybe even tell us uh, a story about your favorite flight that occurred? Yeah. yeah. 
Uh, Angel Flight Soars is in Atlanta. They're actually headquartered at uh, DeKalb Peachtree Airport in Atlanta. And they're a 501c3, and their job is to connect private pilots with patients that need transportation for medical purposes, getting to or from treatment where it wouldn't be possible for them to fly commercially either because they can't afford it or you know maybe they have a compromised immune system they don't want to be on a plane full of people uh, or just the comfort factor something like that they do have to be able to to walk you know it's not like an air ambulance or something like that they have to be stable and able to get on and off the airplane we've had patients that have used uh, portable oxygen concentrators just to supplement their oxygen and that's allowable so they qualify the patients, they make sure they have real medical need, and they put it out for pilots to volunteer to take the mission. And sometimes you'll take them to and from in the same day, or sometimes you just drop them off and go home. And depending on, you know, if you sign up for both legs, you may go back and get them the next day or a few days later and, and bring them back home. One of my favorite stories is about a little girl named Anna who was born with a, a, a syndrome that causes her bones to not harden properly and also affects her kidneys. And she was retrieving treatment for that and she was getting at the Mayo Clinic up in Rochester, Minnesota. Uh, it's about a two hour flight in the, the bigger airplanes that we fly. So uh, we've taken up there many times. One time she had an appointment in January in Rochester, Minnesota. And we went up there and it was 17 below on the thermometer. Oh my goodness. With a wind chill of minus 35. <laughs> so we didn't tarry long there. It's like, okay, get you in here and thank you. Have a good trip and see you later. We're going to get back in the jet and crank it up before it, you know, <laughs> the battery gets so cold it won't crank again. So that was the coldest weather I've ever personally experienced getting out in that stuff. So that was an interesting flight. But she needed a, ended up needing a kidney transplant. And her father was a donor, not for her, but for another patient in a chain where, you know, you give a, a kidney to this person and this, this person has a friend who gives a kidney to this person, finally gets around to the right match for, you know, this person like that. So we took her father up there too to, to get the testing done and to get the surgery when, when she needed it. And she got a kidney transplant and was successful. Wow. And so that was a, such a wonderful experience to be there to help those out to play a small part in, in her getting better. Right. So, and we're good friends with the family and we see them all the time and stay in touch with them, that is. They're wonderful, wonderful people. And to, to meet people that are just regular folks but who have you know, special medical problems makes you very grateful for your own health and your own circumstances that you don't have to deal with something like that, that that's kind of its own reward. You know, the patient, the pilots volunteer their own airplanes and pay for their fuel and fees and stuff like that. And it's then that's tax deductible, so it's great to be able to fly on a tax deductible basis. Right, because right. flying's not cheap, and uh, get to go to a really cold and place. get to go to a really cold place with beautiful sunny spots like scenic <laughs> Rochester, Minnesota in January. <laughs> yeah, so it's so rewarding, and and you get to go to places that you never could have gone before. We actually ended up doing an angel flight to Maine. Now the angel flight organizations are divided into regions, and our planes can go pretty far, so sometimes we'll go into another region. Uh, like Minnesota would not be some place that Angel Flight Soars usually covers. They're covering North and South Carolina, Florida, Georgia, Alabama, Tennessee. Okay. It's pretty much their, their area of operations. But they'll coordinate with other Angel Flight 
organizations, and sometimes people have to make several hops, different okay. planes to get where they're going and to get back. Gotcha. And sometimes we'll just do one leg. There was a friend of mine, his wife's sister's husband had colon cancer, and uh, it was terminal, and he wanted to go up to Maine where they had a, a house to spend his last summer there. And so we took him up to, up to Maine. And we were lucky the winds were okay that one time that we, when we first went up there that we could make it without a stop on there. And it was, a, it was a good flight. And we said, well, you know, at the end of the summer, call us when you're ready to come home, not expecting he would be coming home from there. And his, he had family up there too, some, some children. And the doctors could not believe how he rallied for just being in a place he loved so much with the beautiful scenery up there. And, Isn't that something? And it's amazing. And sure enough, he called at the end of the summer, and we went and got him and took him home. And then I said, well, call me next summer, and we'll take you back up to Maine for the summer. And he called next summer, and he wasn't looking so good then, and that was his last summer in Maine. Okay. You know, so. But and was he in Maine when he finally passed? He was. He passed Which in Maine. Which is kind of nice. With his family to, around him, yeah. 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 Well, looking, looking out, like looking out over the bay. Yeah. How, that's, that's wonderful. Yeah. And, and had that much more time left. That's right. Uh, that's right. It's uh, interesting where you can be at a place and just have peace, if you will, to exactly. kind of help make you feel better. Exactly. What advice would you give to others who started a business today? Anything in particular? I know you've talked about perseverance a lot. Well, I, I think, you know, there's some research that needs to be done. You don't need to want to just jump into it. You need to make sure that it's going to be financially viable, like I said in the Fast 30. Uh, you want a business plan that, that can support the organization, whether it's a for-profit or a non-profit. <laughs> One of the, the sayings that Larry Smith, our CFO at, at Cersei, used to have was, um, if you're not going to make a profit, you might as well just go home, stay home and watch TV. <laughs> so, you know, as a business owner yourself, you know, that, that profit is lifeblood. It's not a it's not a dirty word, right? Right. It's it's the it's the reason that capitalism exists. So, so do your research and make sure that that there's a way that the business can run and make a profit. You know, our priorities at at uh, Huntsville Steamworks are one, keep the clients happy two, keep the team members happy, and three, make enough money to keep the doors open and the lights on. There you go. Those are so, three great things. And in that order of importance on there. So, but, but you always need to have the profit part in your, in your business plan. Don't, don't neglect that. And, you know, you can do market research pretty easily with the internet nowadays and just try to figure out what the, what the need for your goods or services are and Look at look at competitors if there are any. If you if you find a niche where you don't have any competitors, then then first of all, maybe there's a reason there are no competitors, or maybe you're just very lucky and have found a, a, a super opportunity. But either way, do the do the legwork up front before you just jump in. But once you've done that, and once you've decided that you're going to do that, then go for it. Don't don't wait around. One of the toughest life lessons I've ever had to learn is that it, it seemed like I was always waiting for the next thing to happen. You know, I was always like, well, when, when this happens, then, then, then we can do this and something like that. I finally realized that the life I was living while I was waiting was, was the whole point. You know, the, the journey is the destination, if you will, right. or whatever that phrase is. It's important and to remember that. It's important to remember that. Don't just be waiting for something else to happen. Just get down to it and enjoy and ride. Right. Well, yeah. And it's okay to make a profit. Even a 501c3, it is okay 
to make a profit. And it is actually not good if you don't. Right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. All right. Is there anything else that you'd like to add to this interview? Uh, you know, I don't think any of this has been ha possible for me in either case if it weren't for Huntsville. It's such an amazing city and with amazing people in it and such big hearts people have in this town and they really care about STEAM and education and helping other people and it's made Huntsville Steamworks possible. So I'm grateful there and I, for that and I'm very grateful for the quality of life that you can experience in Huntsville. And once I moved here, I never really wanted to live anyplace else. And Huntsville is such a great place. It is. Uh, I certainly wouldn't want to be anywhere else. I know, right? So. All um, right. Well, the final question asked is given to us by our previous entrepreneur. Okay. And on our last podcast, we had entrepreneur Greg Paulus of CraigPaulus.com. And Craig's question is, do you have any other business ideas that you are working on that will potentially become a business? <laughs> you know, I get little ideas all the time, but I never seriously think of developing them into a business. And I'm thinking, hey, wouldn't it be cool if we did this, did that? I thought it might be fun to have a probably a for-profit that helps people form nonprofits. Yeah. You know, probably uh, a good thing. Yeah. You know, but thinking about it is, would they have enough money to support a business? Because a lot of people starting nonprofits don't have a lot of funding to start them up. So, but uh, no, there's nothing, I'm not thinking of anything right now. This is keeping me busy. Okay. Uh, busy enough. Okay, well, so. that's, that's great. And yeah. I think an entrepreneur mind is always thinking. That's true. That's true. We're always looking for an angle, right? Right, right. Yeah. All right, well, as we close, Mike, please write down your last question for our next guest and tune in to find out how they will answer it on the next episode of epitch.org. And I know that you have been here for a while, and I greatly appreciate it. I just think you're a, a tremendous person to, to oh, know, well. and thank you for, for all that you do for all of us. So, well, thank, thank you. Thanks for the opportunity to tell my story. I really appreciate it. Thank you for listening today. Please check out my website at epitch.org or anchor.fm slash epitch.org to listen to future podcasts and on my Twitter account, epitch.org, to learn more about entrepreneurship. May these individual stories inspire you to do great things in entrepreneurship. Thank you. Thank you.